listening to the Consequential Podcast. With me today, Roger, full of wine. Good evening. Lucy, Diet Coke. How to Rooney. And me, Dave Congrey, less wine than Roger. But still some wine. Still some. I drank still it some. by mistake. What are we drinking? Uh, we're drinking a really wicking... startling speed. It really slipped down. It's a liquid. It's designed to. Your whole track is set up yeah, to facilitate true, true. that. It's, um, it's a mediocre supermarket Argentinian Shiraz. It's not really worthy of comment. But it is worthy of pouring into your body at alarming speed. Mmm. Yes. Well, it sort of tastes like feisty ripena. Mmm. Lucy, what have you been reading? Um, so I continued my uh, catch-up of Bad Machinery, so I only got sort of about two and a half cases in last time. So I caught myself all the way up, and it was good. Mm. It was really good. How, much, was... how much Desmond Fishman have you uh, encountered in that Some. time? Some. Yeah. What Some is a Desmond Fishman? Fishman? He's a man who's also a fish, who's also probably a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty great. He's, he's, the, he, he's a very, very simply drawn version of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. Um, he's the of, son of a fancy naval man and a mermaid, but the wrong bit of the mermaid came out in him, and he's, he's sort of fishy all over. He wears swimming trunks with a 50 meters badge on all the time. <laughs> and he has a mansion, but there's not really anything in it, and his butler seems almost like his prisoner. It's good. He's, he's a good fish man. There's John Allison, you say. John Allison, you say. Weird creatures in the north of England, you say. It's the 50 meters swimming badge. That's the... oh, it is, isn't it? Mm. So you started reading Giant Days as well. I have started reading Giant Days as well. So, I mean, I want to come to that separately, though, because it's separate Okay, you're not, you're not done. I was, I was trying to segue there quite well, no, generally. You, you, you blew me off course with the fish man. I had things to say about okay, that machinery. Not very many, but just some. But say them. Feel free. Well, um, I mean, so the teens are growing up at this point. The teens are getting older. There is more teen strife, and everything, particularly for Shauna, has been quite bad recently. I don't know if you guys have caught up or... Not recently, no. Okay. She's having a bad time. Her life's kind of imploded, and it's not really clear where it's going to go from there, and it's also on hiatus at the moment. So it's bobbins at the moment. Yes, it's old... That's it's... not to say it's shit in a slightly <laughs> evasive way. There is another strip called Bobbins, which was an older strip and is now a fill-in when Bad Machinery is not running. So Bobbins was filling in until I think a couple of weeks ago, and now it's basically the sort of the summer story, which is a similar format. It's kind of long, four-panel, um, featuring the Bad Machinery characters. But again, I mean, this man, the amount of mileage he's got out of his own IP over the years, just just flip a mirror around every single angle, every take on everything. So this is um, Lottie going to stay with um, Shelley Winters for the summer, telling her about an escapade they had previously that didn't actually get covered in bad machinery, so... Shelley um, Winters is another character who sort of dips in and out of it, isn't Yeah. She? She's kind of a international woman of mystery at times. Children's book writer these days, and pregnant. Oh. That's the big news there. She's um, just dating one. I thought I didn't like bad machinery. And every time Yol talks about it, I kind of feel I should probably like it. Should I just start at the beginning, or is there some other place to start, or...? Well, I think, I think you probably could jump on slightly later if you're willing to do the, like, mm. read who the cast are and stuff. Yeah. You may actually get more out of it when they're slightly older teens. You get kind of more emotional richness, mm. I guess, than you do from 12-year-olds. Because I tried from the beginning a couple of years ago, and I just sort of bounced off it. It wasn't bad, it just kind of didn't 
Yeah. Uh, the point at which it combines small town football and characters from Russian folklore, that's when I kind of got hooked into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, why, why would, why would anyone story. not love that? Yeah, I think you just didn't get far enough. Mm. I'm going to give you the book. The first I'm case is definitely a warm-up. Mm. It, gets, it, it, it goes off weird and strange after that. So I could maybe start at the second and do some yeah, pre-reading with, with that work? Yeah, have a go. So yeah, Bad Machinery is still good. For those who, like me, do not enjoy reading things in webcomic format, the uh, gigantic um, print editions that only have done are very nice. So yes. that's the thing. Well, I think the other thing that I've really enjoyed this time is I started reading Bear Machinery day by day, probably from about the second case, and actually going back and reading it all as proper mm. stories and reading the new stuff as a proper story was really nice. The webcomic format is flawed, we know that. Yeah. They're quite coherent yeah. as well, despite being sort of four-panel strips. Oh, yeah, they yeah. are coherent as arc stories. There are yeah. only two webcomics I read like religiously as they come out, which are um, HKCD and Poorly Drawn Lines. Interesting. Both of which are gag strips. Gag strips, much easier to take day by day. Everything else I take breaks and then come back. Yeah. Even gay hockey pie comics. Gay hockey pie comics. I need to get back on that bandwagon. Oh, yeah. Tell us about Giant Days. Giant Days. So last week you heard me say, unless Dave edited it out, that I wasn't entirely sold on Giant Days with the new artist who isn't John Allison. Just to clarify, Giant Days is sort of... It's a spin-off set in the same world as Bad Machinery? Yeah, from a previous oh. strip he did, which was also set in the same world. So, current Bad Machinery, Lottie's older sister, Sarah, is a friend of Esther, who's the main character in Giant Days, but it's about her time at uni. Yeah. And it's um, he's been doing them as sort of mini-comics for cons for the last few years, mm. and now it's an ongoing series from Boom. Yes. There we go. Drawn by Lisa Tremaine. Context, people. Um, why, is, why is it called Bad Machinery? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think he does things on the spur of the moment, but I mean his website is called Bobbins.horse, so uh, <laughs> That's his website for bad ideas, yeah, to be true. fair. Yeah. But that's the calibre of man we're talking about. You you've um, all done the trace dot horse. So giant days. I was not sold because I believed for a long time that I could only enjoy John Allison's writing when it was paired with his art style because just the sort of you know, the faces, the postures, his own kind of fluidity of style would have matched it so neatly. And you said that it was actually pretty good, and you were right. So I don't yes. know Sorry. You were right. Don't milk it, Convery. It's tacky. They don't know that I was flexing. I don't tell you you're right very often. No. Well, he isn't. <laughs> so I'd only read the first single, and so I read the whole of the first trade, and actually, Lister Tremaine's art style also fits it very very nicely yeah. she's got good like blur all over the place limbs going on which you kind of need to do John Allison justice um, and it was great I wanted to actually read the second trade as well before I came to the show today the only thing that stopped me was my own lack of time and ability to actually sit down and read it so it was not for want of enthusiasm if that serves as a recommendation the second one jumps between artists a little bit um, okay, but they all work which I'm very pleased with. It's also got some great covers. Mm. Just they're all just sort of focused on one character in a neat little vignette, and they're all really neat little summations of part of that character. I like them a lot. And the characters are so great. He is he is really really great at characters and characterisation. Yeah. That's probably the thing that drives his stories the most. Yeah. 
wonderful. Yes, no, liked it a lot. Come for the fishman, stay for the rich characterization. Exactly. That's that's a pitch that is pretty well guided to my tastes, in fact. I mean, add cricket and I'm yours. So the other thing I've been reading this week, um, it's another webcomic catch-up, and this time it was Gunner Creek Court. Now, I've had a very up-and-down relationship with Gunner Creek Court. Is it still bollocks? In the past, I'm going to go tentatively with no. Ooh. So this is one I could never get into, despite recommendations from both of you. Um... I think mostly because the early art is quite bad. Yeah, that's so bad. Fair. And then it gets really good. And then it gets really boring. Yes, so the, it's... It's, it's kind of easier with gag strips to sort of go, oh, well, the art's shit, but the jokes are okay, and wait for the art to yeah. catch up. Yes, if it's story-driven, it's much harder. Um, it's... In the past, it has suffered from the thing that questionable content definitely suffered from. I think the thing that any kind of long-running web property with a sort of vague narrative arc can suffer from, which is just massive sag in the middle, spiralling off into little side stories and the falling in love with your own universe to the extent that you don't actually finish telling the story yeah. that people are here for. It's um, like sort of bad RPG in places where it's sub-quest, 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 exactly. sub-quest and you get lost. And that's that's kind of where it lost me, but what's what's pulled me back is the fact that it's actually back on track towards a plot. <gasps> There is some, not qu- not quite there yet, it hasn't exactly mm. delivered, but we're closer than it's felt like for a long time. Um, I sort of, yeah, I stopped for a while and then I kind of caught back up to when her dad had just turned up and I was like, bad dad being a dick, nope, mm. <laughs> I'm out. But then actually that stuff also plays out a bit better than I expected. Mm over the subsequent couple of chapters so yeah it's it's huge and it loses its way a lot in places but if it's a thing that you already know that you like or a thing that you suspect you might like it's getting somewhere better again I would say there's a lot I like about it like, I like the fact that it's kind of psychopomp prep school yeah I, I like lesbian robot Jesus yes um, actually I think that's it robot, robot and shadow are cool yes but yeah it just there's something about the storytelling. Some of the animals are very cutely drawn. Yeah. That's a big draw yeah. for me. Cutely drawn animals, like the robot dog. Can we talk about the robot dog again from last time? There was a robot dog in a comic I read this week, but it wasn't nice. Oh. Is it something that you could um, ignore the start of? Is there a point at which you um, could come to it and not lose out? Yes, probably, if you're willing to read a plot summary to a certain extent. So it is... Although the story is big and flabby, it is fundamentally story-driven, and a lot of it is sort of... There's a lot of kind of rich world-building going on, so if you want... I think if you want kind of full richness, do read it from the beginning, but if you're okay with not knowing some of the things he's referring to, and honestly, it is sort of, in some places, kind of referential to the point of just being wanking on your own thing. Mm. So you don't necessarily need to engage with. I know that... That's good for a daily, weekly audience, people who are reading it because of the world and just like little bits of depth will will entertain them, but in terms of reading an overall story, I don't give a shit. Yes, it's the people who are hanging on to the creator's little blog update that they do every day and doing a big long comment thread about, OMG, this means that, that means this, and so-and-so is fucking so-and-so, and I have never had any interest in that scene at all. It's just like, ugh, why? Yeah. But if that's your thing, that's cool, and I support you. Yeah, that's fine. I pulled it back. Just, I think no, so. no, I mean, this yeah. is when, we, when we sort of looked at webcomics in depth a few months ago, this was 
one of the things like I sat there with some of the things I was reading thinking why on earth would you include this what is mm. the, what conceivably is the point I and then below the there's just yeah, yeah. there's mm. load endless comments which is which is right. fine and which I think you need to do a certain amount of especially if you're trying to make a living out of it and those are the people who are sure. paying you but in terms of overall storytelling mm. it's not hugely additive yeah I wonder how many webcomics um, cut stuff when they collect I would hope some like I know, so I know that when when John Allison has done his stuff into books, he's redone a bunch of it to make it better than it was before, and I think that probably includes some editorial decisions yeah. as well as redrawing and stuff. But yes, I don't have any I don't have any good data sources on that because I've not read that many things both on the web and in book form and been paying attention at the same time. It's like a trifecta that doesn't happen, especially no, if you're paying they, attention. They don't do that. <laughs> Although, if, if you could give money to Gay Hockey Pie Comics Lady, I would buy the book. I mean, you she, could give her money otherwise. Yeah, and does she have a Patreon? I, think I she don't might know. Do. I think she might. You just mail her a check. Yeah, good. Just thanks Hide for it. Hide it in a pie. Like, give her a just, pie full of dimes. Yeah, just, this is a bad no, idea. It's a bad pie. I don't want to be dime pie guy. No, she has to take it to the bank as well, probably. Yeah, it'd be sticky. To get it changed, yeah. What do you do with the pie crust and the dish as well? Where, know, do, where do you like, get a pie crust get, from? It would just be awkward. Well, I would, I would make the pastry. Yeah, but then. Realistically, if you're sending it to the Canada, I have a small observation. Yeah, people are idiots. Yeah, that's probably fair. Roger, what have you been reading? Um, when you've not been in a pie-based reverie, you <laughs> weird fuck. Pie is important, and I will fight you on this. The man loves pastry. Don't get between him. Yeah. And pastry. And pastry. <laughs> yes. And to be fair, just don't get anywhere because I can make pastry. Like pastry could be anywhere. Just he bam. can make pastry like you won't believe. You could just be like walking the line, boom, pastry. If I, I can't tell if Conrad's having a seizure or trying not to poop. I'm wondering how much I care about all of the hardware we're using to record this to not just walk out of the room and never be seen again. <laughs> I mean, it's a large investment, but think of all the things you could do if you started over. I'm so very tired. <laughs> Please no, tell me about um, it. I've been reading a lot of sort of singles and odds and ends this week. So uh, Hester, very kindly to see what would happen, lent me um, Deadpool v Gambit, which is a current uh, limited run of Marvel stuff starring Deadpool and Gambit. What did happen, Roger? I really fucking loved it. Good. So this is, it's, um, it's written by um, Ben Blacker and Benjamin Acker, pencils by Danilo Bayruth, and uh, n- none of whom I'd really seen anything by, I don't think. I mean, it kind of it feels like classic Marvel landfill, and it sort of is. Like, it's artistically. Mm, you can tell because it's got Gambit in it. Yeah. It's artistically fine. It's trying a bit too hard to look like the recent Silver Surfer. You know, the overcolored, overcolored with a bit of Kirby crackle. Right. Um, but that, that again, that's, that's okay. That's our like, style. Why that's not? Let's just they're aping a style, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is is just this really nice throwaway fun piece. So it's a it's a caber comedy. It's a heist thing. It's Gambit and Deadpool trying to pull off a heist that goes south. The first issue is set up, so it's um, backstory of the last time they did a heist and how it went wrong because they double-crossed each other, except it turned out they didn't. They were triple-crossed by some other dickhead. And then the other dickhead turns up at the end of the first issue and says, hey, come and do another heist. And they're all like, well, we shouldn't, but we do like money. For the record, Roger did do the little pinky-to-the-mouth thing when he was doing his coquettish voice just then. Carry on. 
Deadpool v Gambit, the V stands for Versus. This was the title of the first issue. Uh, <laughs> that just sets the tone for the whole thing, really. Um, it's just really, really dumb, and it's delightful. So it really it takes the thing like post Deadpool movie. It, it, it's 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 the PG thirteen version of movie ga- of movie Deadpool. Well, like Koi talking to Cameron knows he's in a comic thing, but just incredibly, it's going to age really badly. There are jokes about Tumblr in it. Um, well, the thing is that Deadpool knows that he's in a sliding timeline as well. He knows everything about. He has complete metacognition of whatever environment he's in. Mm. So there's, I mean, there's a thing in it with, with hey, so you asked me to bring this gizmo from the whoever it is run. Yeah, it's all that. It's it's quite good fun, and then he and Gambit get into a thing about whether, given that he's got holographic disguises, do they need to wear clothes, and maybe it'd be fun to do the whole heist naked. And it's it's just kind of it's really stupid fun. Um, obviously, everything goes wrong. There are big lurid fights. It's just is it actually objectively good? No. Did I enjoy it tremendously? God, yes. Good. Good. It's the sort of thing that I would always leave on the shelf. Like, it, I'm really glad that um, Hester lent it to me, and I, I might. I'm going to keep reading it. I might actually buy the trade. So I read. Um, I did read. I mean, I don't tend to read Deadpool comics because I'm mm. a snob. Um, oh, the covers are really good. Slightly painty. Um, but I did read Deadpool vs. Hawkeye, and very similar. It was just sort of very mocking of what they were doing on the Fraction Naha run at the time. Um, lovingly mocking. Mm. Um, and just good in its own right. Just funny. Not something I would pay actual money for. I read it when it was on Marvel Unlimited, which I have a subscription for. Don't pirate kids. Creators uh, deserve cash. Deadpool. That's good. No, I, I, would, I would read it. It's, it's, just, it's just fun, you know? Yeah. There's, there's a really lazy sequence where they're mocking New York hipsters, but the, the first issue is um, they dress up as Spider-Man and Daredevil to do a heist and have a fake superhero fight that they constantly refer to as a superhero fight and make some jokes about Civil War and whatever, and then get busted by actual Daredevil and Spider-Man, well, get busted by Parker and Murdoch, who've gone out antiquing and going to the farmer's market. Because Lord. they're New York hipsters. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It is quite good. Um... Not actually really good at this at the moment, having a lot of kind of like playing with the weird edges of the Marvel Universe mm. and having <coughs> Next Wave. Interior yeah, properties in many different registers. Next Next Wave is, is sort of gradually sliding back in. Yeah, but this means that I can enjoy <laughs> some of their stuff at all. So I, I also grabbed um I, I'm sorry, I've got a lot of bullshit random bullshit I read, so I'm just Get gonna, on with just it. Get the talking. fuck on with it. Power through. Yeah. So I read um the first issue of Mechanism by um I think it's Raffaele Ienko. Is this uh what was most appealing on the image email when you were drunk? Yes. Always a good basis for decision making. It's how Roger hears about a lot of things. Look, reliably, not every week, but most weeks, Image get a couple of quid off me because the email arrives when I'm pissed. I'm like, that's a comic. It's got some sort of filthy robot on it. Did this one have a filthy robot on it? it not particularly filthy. It's I know that Empty Zone is on your list again. Yeah, oh, fuck off. Um, it's, um, no, it's really, really boring. This is just absolute... He's really not taking it very well this week, Leslie. He's just really not taking it at all well. Absolute slurry. I, I had my hopes for mechanism. No, I did. 
the, the preview looked good. The art looked quite aggressively photoshoppy, but they, they showed the stuff that worked and then it collapses into stuff that doesn't. Right. So it's got this, this weird, like, hyperlurid digital style that works very well for the stuff he's making up, but for the stuff where it's people, looks like he's kind of traced over some photos. You know that sort of digital style that looks a bit lazily rotoscoped? Yes. Um, so, Ultimate Fantastic Four mm. style. So the actual people look awful, whereas the aliens and the landscapes look quite cool. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fucking phone it in sci-fi story. There's been an alien invasion, we don't know why. The only thing they did was drop like soldier drones into the oceans. That make, they fucked up the atmosphere, it's always raining, there are weird, like, evil nuke bastards swarming over the land. Humanity's retreated to enclaves, blah 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 blah, and now the military has built a murder droid and run, rushed it into production, except maybe there's something mysterious going on. And then against this, there's a winsome old dude with a lovely dog in a clapped out car out in the wilderness, and some buddy cops who hate each other because there's a class divide, and the robot is probably the broken off piece of a giant hyper sentient hyperintelligence or something. It's just... The guy making the robot is terribly guilty and spends a lot of time just almost looking directly at the reader and explaining the sci-fi premise. And I'll Ooh. be honest, the art varies from really quite good to absolutely appalling. And I think it's just good at drawing a, drawing a certain type of thing or delivering a certain mood in this style and really bad at people. I think it is that simple. Mm-hmm. But the composition's fine. The state of it is quite nice. But, uh, the writing is terrible. Okay. I would, I would absolutely understand anyone who, like me, looked at the preview and thought, this premise is a bit cod, but fuck it, I'll go with it because this looks cool and it might rescue it. Mm. Disappointing. Roger is disappointed. I'm sorry this filthy robot didn't pan out for you. The robot's not filthy. I don't know you like. I, mean, I normally go for a filthy robot. Maybe this was my mistake. Maybe I should have gone for a filthier robot. Remember that next time you're drinking and your phone bangs. Yeah. If I'm lucky, it's dick pics. If you're unlucky, it's another three quid, another filthy robot. Yeah. <laughs> So something that started as Booze Comics, but that I've just been fairly religiously following, is um, Empty Zone. And we're currently on sort of wrapping up Volume 2. I mean, it it wrapped a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't get around to reading 9 and 10 until last week. Um, Empty Zone, I think, started a while ago. It's uh, the the intellectual property is Jason Shaw and Alexander, and I think he had some things before the most recent run the most recent run the first one I talked about earlier in the year or last year uh, which is conversation, uh, conversations with dead people or something or talking to dead people something like that um, and the second run second trade essentially is called Industrial Smile and here he's working with um, Dara Savage on the writing um, and both he and Louis Nucht, Nucht NCT and, uh, are doing the artwork and this is um I didn't rate it as highly as the first volume. It had exactly it had some of the same problems, but um, it was just a little bit less stylish. But it's still beautiful. It's still this amazing looking comic. So I've talked about it before, I think, haven't I? In a bit of detail. You have, yeah. When it first started, you did talk about it. To reprise loosely, it's a fairly trad near future cyberpunk thing. In the in the near in the near past of the setting, there's been some kind of event that has fucked everything up, and there's been a bit of a global crash. The event. Ah. Uh, there are megacorps, there's cybertech, you get the idea. And we follow Kareem White, who's a cybernetically enhanced former merc- former soldier, now turned kind of courier mercenary. It's a lot like um, 
Shadowrun, to be honest. But... <laughs> um, Wait, has everyone turned into orcs? No, but there's a lot of weird sort of creatures with enhancements. We, uh, there are people with tails and things, and people have done shit to themselves. Biotech has gone funny as well. Mm. And this one's kind of about that. So in the first volume, we find out that she's sort of seeing ghosts and things, and this turns out to be something to do with her past and something that this evil corporation is um, is trying to do because their founder is basically trying to live forever and has discovered some kind of... PayPal, you say? Yeah. He's, he's sort of um, Nigerian, angrier Peter Thiel. Um, but yes, they basically discovered the process of the soul transitioning to the afterlife or rather discovered phys- like physical evidence of something to do with that and are now torturing ghosts for science well you would wouldn't you and uh, Kareen objects to this and is on something of a crusade to sort them the fuck out not least because they keep trying to have her killed and or dissected uh, and this arc takes us to Berlin where she has combined trying to find one of their underground labs with doing some more jobs for people to make some cash and ends up running into some, um, well, vampires. Basically, a bunch of ridiculous goth kiddies who have formed as a sort of hero-worshipped cabal around a really lurid horror author have done shit to themselves with weird tech and variant mutants and have become probably a bit, depending on how you count, vampires. Okay, maybe I should reread this. This actually sounds weirder than... They've kind of, they've, the thing it started as? They've designed a vamp themselves. Mm. And it's all skirted around. It's not really... It's sort of jokes about people going for the Anne Rice fantasy, but they're basically hosting horrible cannibalistic sex parties and trying to live forever. Yeah. And it's it's an amped-up image of a sort of Berlin sexual underground. This sounds more Warren Ellis than the early... The first early run... Stuff. Okay, so here's the thing. The first run is a lot simpler and a lot less weird Uncle Warren. But it's also more visually arresting. This is, I think, because there's more going on, it's faster paced. There are fewer visually gorgeous set pieces. Like the horrible corpse robots in the first volume are just wonderful. Yeah, and, and pretty grim. And this, whereas this is, this is, uh, has eaten its witches. Like there's a lot of digital spatter artifacts and interesting backdrop stuff. There's a, an assassin or mercenary kid in it that looks like the, um, weird character from Blame. I don't know if you remember the manga from the way back when. Look, look gorgeous. Oh, vaguely. Vaguely. Um, there's a robot pug. One of them has a robot pug. Adorable. Quite. Just turns it off, gets gets home, turns it back on again, turns it off when they leave. Well, precisely. And, this is yeah. the dog that I need and want. Yeah. This, is why I, this is why I mentioned it. It's the exact dog we were talking about the other day. Yeah. Just... Well, you also, you want multiple uh, like energy and power settings as yeah, well. Yeah, you yeah. want like chilling out in the house versus running around in a field versus you're on holiday, turn the damn dog off. Mm. But yeah, a dog that was otherwise indistinguishable but robotic and essentially immortal would be my that dream is dog. this exact thing. Now, I, I solidly, I've been raving about... Sorry, I'm just trying to rescue you now. Uh, I've been raving about Empty Zone with caveats all year and I rave about it again with caveats. The... Um, the character work is a bit stronger in this volume. Some of the pacing is a little bit off. Um, it's still visually beautiful, but it leans less heavily on set pieces. There are two things about it that I would call attention to in this volume. One is that it does this kind of talked, kind of mirror, tilted mirror vision thing with some of the panels that I just absolutely love. Like Occasionally it bends the perspective so that you're almost looking at it through a tilted lens or a, or a funny mirror. Um, I don't totally understand 
the, the, the pattern to why it does that is not always obviously clear to me, but it doesn't look like lazy Photoshop either. It's, it, it, it probably is Photoshop it, 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 rather than having been drawn that way, but it, it's done. But it's not lazy. It, it's done in such a way that it fits. And so it's like sort of a portion of a fish eye. Yeah, kind of. It, it looks like the panel's been, it hasn't obviously, but it looks like it's been bent or something and you're viewing it at a funny angle. It's normally for when, but not always, for when something weird is going on with Kareem's perception. Right. Um, and that alone, that is a device I've not seen. It, it's, it's also really doubling down the fractured panels and weird page layout. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous looking book. Um, Data and Science, Sean Alexander is a very talented man, clearly. Um, what it's not is a book that misses many opportunities to do some slightly unfortunate male gaze stuff. Uh... Now, he's writing and drawing, and it's not in the writing. Like the, there's not a lot of subjection or character stuff. There's a, there's a fair bit of lazy sexual subjection stuff, but we're in like underground Berlin sex vampire cult territory, so it kind of comes with the turf, and it's fairly gender equal. But the visually, though, the ladies get naked more often than the men, and quite often the sort of implicit camera position, I guess you know what I mean, like the the, the implicit visual position of the reader and the. The implicit sexualization is not particularly equal visually, and there are some very grubby male gaze panels, some of which are sort of whole page things. And I just, a couple of them, not many, but a couple of them made me slightly uncomfortable. I was just kind of, mm, this belongs in comics from 20 years ago. Mm, Graham. So it's on the prob- problematic favourites list, isn't it? Um, yeah, there's not enough of that, but I want to label the whole thing as problematic. It's just kind of like, Oh, kind of dude, I wish you hadn't done that in quite that way. It's pretty great, though. I love it. So, yeah, I don't think I've really read anything else. There's... What about you? Well, I've I've also broken ranks and read Marvel stuff. Um, Golly. Lord. I know, I know. Can we get a Lorks? No. Not without installing a fainting couch. You're meant to have one by, by sorry, law. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and, and, no, it's all getting into a slightly racist... Tom and Jerry place there. Um, yeah, I read uh, the new Doctor Strange, um, which is written by Jason Aaron of Southern Bastards, which oh, you're so going to be good. talking about in a bit. Oh, um, he is no stranger to Marvel. He ran, he did a run on Thor that I really enjoyed a couple of years ago, um, called uh, God Butcher, which was about a thing that that's kills on, gods. That's on brand for him. That's a yeah. bold name. Yeah, he he does dark and violent stuff in Marvel, pretty much. I mean... His, his entire thing in, like, the back matter and front matter from Southern Bastards is basically, I'm from the motherfucking South, motherfucking deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he has described himself as a massive hairy redneck quite a few times. Um, but, yeah, he, he, he he's done a fair bit in terms of Marvel stuff recently over the last few years, and um, his take on Doctor Strange is different like if you've seen the trailer then you've seen a fake man waving his hands around and that's yeah. kind of very much classic Doctor Strange um, so Jason Aaron gave him an axe obviously <laughs> what? is it a hatchet? are you sure it's not a hatchet? <laughs> as home in a tree stump or in a rabid dog's skull precisely um, no, it's a huge, it's a huge, massive fucking axe. Because when you are, you know, the sorcerer supreme and, and capable of uh, um, protecting all dimensions from any sort of heinous magic, 
Why wouldn't you need an enormous fucking axe? So I'm pretty sure that's there just for the visuals. Um, but it's um, so it's set after Marvel's big world resetting event, um, Secret Wars. And it sort of treats it as a reasonably blank canvas, I think. Um, and goes down a Lovecrafty portal fairly hard. Um, so traditionally it's been sort of... I was going to say gently orientalist, totally orientalist. Um, sort of... Doctor like, Strange has previous. Lorks, they do have some magic over there in them there, Tibet. Oh dear. Um, this is just sort of very much there are squicky things there in extra dimensions and they probably want to eat you um, but it sort of starts with him doing a big sort of heroic thing in a horde of stampeding monsters and then gradually turns out that magic is dying um, and he ends up facing off against a bunch of technologically minded uh, inquisitors who despise all magic and um, are really out to fuck him up um, it's fine though because he's got an axe. He's right? got a big fucking axe, yeah. To fuck um, them right back up. And it, yeah, it starts out in a really sort of kind of playful, rompy sort of place and just gets more and more and more unpleasant as it goes on. I mean, this is, this is on brand for the style in some of the stuff he does in Southern Vassars, which has this lightness of touch that then suddenly descends down a massive hole. Yeah, that seems to be one of his. Um, one of his key things in storytelling is that he likes to put the uh, the hero through absolute fucking hell. Um, so there's a bit. Uh, this is this is a bit of a spoiler. So so don't uh, listen if you care to read this. But there's a bit, there's a bit um, towards the end of the first volume of the, the relaunch series where um, it's sort of become apparent that he can't re- he can't eat normal food anymore to regenerate himself. He, can't, he ends up eating sort of magical creatures and horrible shit. And whenever he's completely fucked up from spellcasting, which is taking massive toll on him, uh, his housekeeper, Wong, takes him to the basement. And he always feels better after a stay in the basement. Oh, God. What's um, in the basement, Dave? Well, he just he sort of wakes up refreshed and he's fine and everything's lovely. And then it cuts to um, his old training grounds. And Wong visiting his students, because Wong is a very powerful magician and a horrible warrior monk. Um, And there are just row upon row of floating monks who've taken on all of his injuries and all of his ailments. Um, And he's basically sort of got this battery farm of people to take the damage on strangers' behalf without his knowledge or consent. And it's really... Disturbing? Just a really dark turn for it. Yeah. yeah, I quite liked it. I was expecting a much lighter book. I don't know fucking why, because I've read Jason Aaron stuff before. But mm. um, it's it's an interesting take on the character. I'm not sort of uh, not um, totally recommending it. I'm not a huge fan of the artwork, which is um, Chris Bachelow, who kind of draws incredibly detailed, really frenetic fight scenes and big impressive double page spreads and then doesn't draw any detail in faces oh, it's just kind of that. his style and it's it um i find it a little bit frustrating um it's annoying um but i i, I enjoyed it i thought it was an interesting read it's not replaced dr fate as my Fair favorite doctor. relaunched magical title from a major comics publisher with doctor in the title mm. but um <laughs> 
I read a lot. I have to get these things very heavily narrowed down. Um, but it's good fun. It's it's an interesting take on the character. I'm not sure how long it will stay as a definitive take. It feels too big and too weird that to stick around, but we'll mm. see. Um, the other thing I read was uh, Vision, um, as in the big floaty robot from the Avengers. In chunky knitwear. In in chunky knitwear and fine suits. Um, after whatever happened in Secret Wars and wherever it's left the Marvel Universe, Vision has decided that he is um, going to move to the suburbs and with his wife and raise two children. So he creates a wife and two children. Um, of course. And moves to the suburbs. And this does not go well. This this is quite quite dark. His children are sort of having tempestuous teeny spats, but it's about whether they are robots or synthesoids in this case, and or whether they, they should move closer to humanity. And so they have blazing rows. And there's a brilliant bit where um, they have sort of a reversal of the classic peanuts kicking the ball, moving the ball thing. Mm. Um, where Because vision can phase through things and all of the things that all of the family that created from him can as well. One of them keeps running and then phasing through the ball and not kicking it. Um, and it's just this really long-running Peanuts gag to allow them to do quite a big chunk of exposition, but it works really well. What um, is... So in, in current Marvel, what is the vision? Because it's been lots of things. So the vision is the character that he's always been. He is a... Uh, robot body that was designed by Ultron, the big robot baddie, to mm. fight the Avengers. Um, but they imprinted him with um, the brain patterns of another Avenger called Wonder Man, who doesn't really turn up much anymore because he's called fucking Wonder Man, and why would he? Um, he sounds like bread. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's, he's kind of a square-jawed actorly type, which I think Nathan Fillion is doing a cameo as him in the next Guardians of the Galaxy film, which is pretty much spot on. Um, so Vision is this, uh, but he knows he's a robot and he doesn't necessarily trust emotions, or so at the current point he's kind of switched them off, but logically wants to fit into the world in, in a mm. way that makes sense to him, and so he's sort of like the, the Avengers liaison to the, the military, he turns up in a suit, despite being bright fucking pink. And he, um, uh, now, there's a, there's a really, really good panel in, in the current, or in issue four of the current one, I think, um, where it's sort of replicating the, the very first uh, cover of Fantastic Four. There's a giant monster called Giganto bursting through the ground. And the Vision is on the phone to his wife talking about their children and whether they should stay in school. And it's sort of like meant to be like 50s sitcom dialogue mm. almost at that point. Like, no, dear, I am listening to you, dear. It's just that I'm also fighting Giganto. Um, and it's just one of those things where it takes the, the, the sort of stupidity of the Marvel Universe and the sort of hangover of the, mm. the fast and loose 60s days. Um, and... Uh, plays it really well but again it's really fucking dark um, it, it takes a very dark turn very quickly it does the sort of 
things ain't all right in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, quite creepy. Well, we, we did a whole podcast on this, didn't we? Mm. We did. Yeah. Yeah. The creeping horror of the suburbs. Mm. Yeah. Terrifying. This this would be a good fit for that. Um, things go badly wrong. His family don't necessarily behave as he would like, and people Model die. For masculinity, you say? Secrets are kept. It's intriguing. I really like it. Um, the artwork's great. Um, the artwork is by uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walter. Um, it's kind of a little bit like Declan Shelby's style, if um, if you're familiar with that. It's not, it's not identical, but there's sort of very much that style that they've been using in Injection, where the pencils show through a little bit um, through the inking. Um, and it's coloured by Geordie Belair. Um, in a palette that manages to complement all of the pink and green that you get with having um, the vision in things. Um, well, it's written by a guy called Tom King, who's been doing a reasonable amount of work in comics lately. So he's been doing this, and he's been doing um, the Omega Men over at DC. And he's a former CIA agent, um, and he has a particular interest in writing about things that sort of in that world. Um, so Mega Man is about a bunch of superhero freedom fighters slash terrorist characters and a propaganda war that's going on. And yeah, he's um, he's an interesting writer and it's not the sort of Tom Clancy nonsense you would expect from, you know, it's not, it's not mm. Butch, Andy McNabb, former Secret Service style. It's, mm. it's thoughtful and interesting. He's a really interesting writer. More Le Carre than... Uh... Yeah. 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 I'd say so. But he writes about pink robots that phase yeah. through things. Oh my I do God. want to stress that. Someone really needs to get John Le Carre to do a comic. Like a really daft comic. Guardians of the Galaxy or something, or Rocket Raccoon. John, hey. Le, John Le Carre on Rocket Raccoon. Make it happen, people. Well then, was that, uh, was that all of your comics? That's my comics. Let's talk about the Eisner Awards. Um, Tell us about them, Dave. What about them? What are they? Why? Well, we don't normally talk about awards on here, which is... No, because it's kind of boring. In the same way that you don't give anything a score, because... We don't need experts. I was more going to say that (laughs) subjectivity is useful when discussing artistic endeavour. it's, it's occasionally but, fun to have a bit of a rant about the Eisners, like, oh, why the fuck did so-and-so win that, or whatever. But. Well, it's always going to be too safe, or too weird, or, mm-hmm. or, or, or it's always going to be too something, depending on your, uh, your perspective. Um, but this year, we've, we've we quite just, honestly read quite a lot of the, the books. Yeah, we just sort of accidentally read a lot of them. Um, because we independently also have good taste. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, we like good and shit. Mm. So the Eisner Awards, there's there's a panel. So yeah, they send out they send out a thing to publishers. Publishers submit books for consideration. Um, the panel goes through the long list, puts out a short list, and then eventually um, there's a ballot. So that's open to anyone who is, in theory, in a job in the comic book industry. Okay. Um, so. The, the definition is weird, so it's basically, if you work on comics, you're yeah. in. If you're a historian who writes about comics, you're in, or you educate using comics, 
if you are a librarian who specializes in comics. Okay. Uh, and if you manage a comic book shop. Okay. Uh, so they can vote on the. That's pretty the broad across the industry. So it's completely yeah. valueless. Not really, because it's pro- that's primarily going to be comic book professionals. I would say. Yeah, I guess I just don't have a lot of time for voted awards. I don't have a huge amount of time for a bunch of white guys sat in a room and gave out all the awards. Mm. I mean, well, which seems to, which is basically yeah. the only the other old, model. Well, yeah, you could have a diverse version of the other model. But in practice, frequently in you practice don't. you don't. I would like to imagine you could. What do we think about this year's winners? So I had a really good time with the list, although I haven't read as much of it as you guys have. The, the things that I picked out from the list that I thought I would like, it turned out that I liked very much. So in terms of being a discovery mechanism for certain categories of comics mm-hmm. that I don't have another good discovery mechanism for. I mean, you guys have got some like secret underground newsletter that tells you about like the sassy southern ghost comics that you enjoy. <laughs> um, but I don't have one of those. So I rely a lot on suggestions from you guys or like I don't follow a lot of comics people. I don't really engage with like the wider industry that much. Mm. So actually, so, so so the stuff I picked up was all kind of broadly historical. And I'd right. kind of Specifically for the Sassy Ghost comics, I tend to go into a comic shop and pick up anything that has spooky looking wood on it. Like a bit of a hut or a floorboard or something like An that. An outhouse. Yeah. Got spooky wood. Yeah. Got wood spooky for spooks. Spooky wood, spooky wood. It's, it's Roger that has with a ghost haunted inside. <laughs> Sorry, you were about to tell us about the civil rights movement. I was about to tell you about the civil rights movement. Oh, Lord. So, um, I often forget that sort of comics about history as a genre is a thing that exists and... I don't know why I forget this, because I love history. I read about history all the time in, like, non-comics fashion. So why not read some comics about it? So I did. So I read the first two volumes of a series called March, which is written by John Lewis and Andrew Aden, and is drawn and lettered by Nate Powell. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, John Lewis is currently a US congressman and was also a kind of key figure in the civil rights movement, and it's his story about his own experiences. My God, it's some of the best comics I've read in a really long time. It's good, really, isn't it? Really good. So I haven't read this. It's, um, so it follows his sort of kind of his early life and then sort of how he became involved with the movement as a student. So something that I really liked about it, and so everything I'm going to say here comes with the massive caveat of I'm a white British person. I'm probably not that qualified to comment on subtleties in this scene. But um, it seemed less so than other kind of histories of the era that I've read. It didn't seem to be pandering to white fragility all that much. It wasn't focusing heavily on white allies and it was portraying white allies sometimes in a negative Mm. light. And that felt really positive. Like, being angry about white people is okay. Yeah. Lord knows we need it. Mm. Um, So that was really good. It was also something I hadn't really realised was the amount of resistance within the civil rights movement, which was primarily quite young people and students, basically kind of against their own parents' generation, who were much right. more of the the best way for us to get along is to not bother the white folks kind of thing. So I hadn't really realised that there was that kind of internal tension going on at the same time. I mean, the other thing that it kind of reminded me of is that racism is just the greatest swindle ever invented. You've got these incredibly intelligent, conscientious black people standing up for what they believe in in a way that is 
entirely non-violent at this point. Yeah. And white people meet that with such violence, ignorance, hatred, just awful, awful things. And they're the ones who are meant to be better and get to basically dictate the social structure and the social hierarchy. It's like, how the fuck did we pull that one? I mean, other than centuries of oppression. Yeah. But seriously, the like... First, the first volume in particular yeah. is very good at showing how slow non-violent resistance is and mm. how people know it's going to be slow and the fortitude that it takes mm. to engage with it. We're seeing it very strongly at the moment with um, the mismatch of kind of militarised policing versus the anti-police violence demonstrations yes. and the complete failure of, well, basically American policing to engage in any kind of de-escalation. Yes, I mean, it's interesting. You can you can trace a path from the events that are happening in March kind of through to... You're already seeing tensions within the movement. Some people saying yeah. we should be violent. We're being met with violence. We can't keep not meeting that back yeah. with violence. We need to defend ourselves. And from there you get into the kind of like the Black Panthers, the more militarised yeah. black yeah, protest yeah. stuff. Then you hit the 80s, you hit the war on drugs, you hit the destruction of those communities from within, and you see mm. exactly how we get from there to here and yeah. how the things that were won then were precious but also small and there is so much still oh gosh, yeah. to be done it's it's good it's great the voice the tone everything is really really good he's a i i feel very inspired by this man yeah. i very much want to read this book and he's still he's still a congressman is he a senator now no he's a congressman still a congressman. i think um and he's still uh involved in his 80s yeah he's pretty old at this yeah, point he's, he's not young and he's still someone that people regularly call out as Jesus fucking Christ, listen to John Lewis for God's sake. Yeah. Like I've seen him a lot in the news um, in the past couple of weeks. Yes, and he's he has had an incredibly interesting life and the fact that I, I think comics are a great vehicle for telling that story. There's something that makes it much more present having that visual mm. imagery, which you wouldn't be getting if you were reading his biography or his autobiography. So just, the, you know, you're able to depict that, the violence and the hatred in ways that make it much more real than reading about something that happened 50 years ago that you know was bad, but... It feels, I mean, in that way as well, it feels like a sort of a potted history of sort of social movement in America from basically the Great Depression mm. onwards. Um, and I think, I really hope it's going to sort of be a something that sticks around in school libraries for a long, oh, long yeah. time because it's a really good way of introducing tool. kids to this yeah definitely the artwork's superb as well that really helps and it's it is unflinching in the way that it portrays everything that happened and that is you know in an age where we're only just beginning at the margins to challenge white fragility that is so important mm. Yeah, I, I picked up some of it last year because um, it's published by Top Shelf and they have a yearly um, a yearly sale, basically, mm. where they, they do a lot of stuff cheap and I basically ship over a shit ton of comics that will last me for the rest of the year from mm. their stuff. And yeah, I'd highly recommend it to anyone. I think it's quite cheap digitally as well. It is. It's on Comixology and it's at the sort of six, seven pound price mark oh. for each volume. Um, I finished reading it and I went upstairs to my sister who's in America at the moment and about to do a bunch of the civil rights mm. kind of museum stuff in the south and I was like I got you your holiday reading <laughs> it's, yeah. it was one of those I finished it and I immediately wanted to give it to someone else I was like damn mm. this 
this hit me in a way that a lot of stuff really does in a mm-hmm. website. So, yeah. So you also went through some other historical stuff, which wasn't actually sort of it didn't win for um, being history. It won for being an adaptation of international material. Mm, yes. Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> it's it's the there are translation. Of, there isn't are it? loads of categories in this that are just like what the hell mm. is that? Yeah, it's weird because there's two. There's a US edition of international material which went to the realist by Asaf Anuko, mm. and he's um, uh, I think an Israeli um, cartoonist. Um, the Realist is a collection of his sort of one-a-day blog pieces, which is great. And you read um, one of his sci-fi pieces as well that he did with his brother. Um, uh, the Weird Vietnam Godchildren. Oh, that thing. Was that him? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. What was that called? Oh, um... Is it The Divide? Divine, I think. Divine. Yes, The Divine. It looks wonderful. Weird, weird slightly slight and then slightly not so... A piece that surreal shouldn't feel that slight in places. Okay. But it was Showa that you read. Yeah, so Showa is um, a, I think, a five-volume series of the history of Japan in the 21st century by Shigeru Mizuki, who um, died recently but was alive for a long time. He was an old dude. Um, don't know why I said that. Not really relevant. Um, so it's the same for a magnum opus. Yes, so Showa is the um, name of the reign of Emperor Hirohito. So in Japan, he would never have been referred to as Hirohito. He would have been called by his kind of regnal name during his reign. Um, and so it starts in the, the series starts in the early 20s and comes up to 89 when he dies. And I picked up, I haven't, so I hadn't read any of the previous volumes and I started with the last one mm. thinking, it's history. You don't have to do it in order. I mean, I did A-level history, and three of the six modules were basically Nazis. I think one might be Mussolini's Italy, but what there is were it lots of British Nazis. education and Nazis? So I thought I could pick it up. So I picked up um, the last volume, partly because it was the one that won, and partly because it's 1953 to 1989. And that's kind of more of a period of interest for me than the earlier part of the 20th century, especially given that a bunch of the volumes were going to be about Japan's kind of militarism and then war. Mm. I was more interested in sort of the social and cultural stuff that came after that. It's also an interesting time because the, I mean, as an empire, like uh, Japan sort of stopped being an imperial power at that point. They still have Mm. an emperor, but... Hirohito certainly didn't want to go gracefully, but his son has very much been, well, let's dial this shit back. Yeah, we're fine. We'll just stay over here in the palace and you guys get on with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of wrong about you can just pick it up, can't you? What I did not know about this series is that it's interwoven with autobiography oh. um, from Mizuki. So, and he uses he uses his own characters. He's, quite, he's a very famous manga artist in Japan. He had a lot of kind of series that were very popular. Um, in these sort of starting from the 50s and 60s and by the sort of 70s 80s he was sort of very established and famous so it kind of it uses a bunch of his own characters so which I had no cultural kind of context for the sort of the narrator who pops up every so often is a character of his known as Ratman in English Mm. I can't remember the Japanese name and so there was like I was like but also the comic features Mizuki himself as Mm. he's going through his life so for me there was kind of who's mm. the narrator and what's going on here that I think if I'd started at the beginning would have been a lot clearer. Um, also, he, he kind of occasionally gets um, yokai, which are various sort of Japanese demons, in a sort of talking heads to discuss current affairs, which I thought was charming, but strange. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, so it's it's I really 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 like the way that it tells the history. It does it as a kind of current affairs update, basically chronologically, but it focuses a lot on the kind of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily hear about if you'd kind of skim read the Wikipedia article or read a sort of fairly standard book about the history of Japan. But you know, stuff like kind of crimes that were happening, things that mm. were obsessing people on a kind of cultural level day to day what were the sort okay. of fads and trends which I'm really really interested in more of that in. kind of cultural materialist reconstruction of the experience of the period say that in other words uh, an attempt to reconstruct the um, experience of the period you're looking at kind of as a, as a whole contextual object as opposed to not entirely more just into more just focusing on history at the kind of normal person level rather than the governmental and international affairs level I mean there is still plenty of that but um, they had some fucking weird crimes so I think well you do like a weird crime well late 50s early 60s the leader of one of their political parties was assassinated by an extremist teenager who jumped up on stage at a debate at a debate and stabbed him through with a sword Mm. which you just don't really get here People kind of shoot each other and stuff, but you don't get a lot of like ceremonial sword stabbings. You don't. There was a whole bunch you of... just don't have a lot of ceremonial swords. That's true. Weird student uprising just the queen. stuff. Does that coincide with that? Yes. The, yeah, there's... Was that, was that that moment? It was I, my, not my, that moment exactly, My dates are bad with Japanese history. It, yeah. Well, they, they basically had student uprisings pretty much throughout this period. Yeah, where well, you had a... Very unstable. A sort of very slowly liberalising, like basically two generations of young people that just were... Like, mad kicking back. Yeah. Um, Would you go back to the shortlist and look for sort of more stuff like this? Yes, potentially. And I definitely... So I'm going to read the rest of this series, definitely, because actually the bits about Wazuki's life are really interesting. So he was a originally a left-handed artist, and before he was drafted, he was considered a very good artist, and he lost that arm in the war and basically retaught himself to draw with his non-dominant arm and yeah. became a professional manga artist... With the other one. Wow. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah, particularly given that each volume of show is 700 pages yes, long. Yes, no, that big, big chunk Fuck of me. focus. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they are enormous books. Um, Lovely production design for the um, international editions. Yes, yeah, really nice covers as well. Um, Have they reflowed them or are they original direction? Original direction, mm. um, which again was good, but... I had the problem this week that I had when we were doing the manga one of switching between Western style and other way style gets yep. brain confusing. Yep. Um, but yeah, so a lot, a lot of it also kind of in the autobiographical bits focuses on he was a prisoner of war in some sort of Pacific island. I can't remember which one. And he goes back there a couple of times with his old comrades and sort of meets like some mm-hmm. of the kind of tribal people that he knew there and stuff like his sort of longing for Pacific islands is kind of, a thread throughout it and that's nice and interesting and it's not really an angle on the post-war that we get in from sort of European theatre stuff yeah so yeah that was good too I'm gonna go back and read all of them they're really really good okay so from that point of view from sort of introducing you to stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know about that's kind of it's been great I found two new series that I really like Hmm. which seems like pretty good pickings and it's also reminded me to look out for history comics as a thing. Yeah, it's a huge blind spot for me. Mm. 
it was interesting having read Beth again recently to mm. see another survivor of that era doing a very anti-war series. So the whole the whole thing wraps up basically saying, well, I've talked you through the history of Japan over the last like nearly hundred years. What I would say is fucking hell, stop going to war. It's terrible. Like it ends on a note yeah. of that, um, and and it didn't really come up so much in this one, but sort of seeing. Seeing after the facts, the effects of that highly militaristic culture. So apparently, I mean, his, I think his entire squadron or something was killed, and there were suggestions that he should kill himself because yep. it would be dishonourable not to. And he was just like, "No, fuck that! You've already got my arm, and you fucking locked me up on an island for a very long time. You're not killing myself for you." Mm. Yeah, the sections in Barefoot Game where you've got like the school teachers and their classes mm. throwing themselves over cliffs and things, and it's just, mm. it's. It's a mindset that has, you can see a lot of where the second half of the 21st century, 20th century in Japan came from, from needing so much to reject that completely yeah. weird culture. Yes. I mean, the honour the honor system is very hard to comprehend, mm. um, to my mind. I guess we also, we only hear about the pathological protrusions, but there must yeah. be a kind of grind, through, a sort of grind into everyday life as well that mm. you sort of see through the cracks. But well, I mean, that's what abandoned the old, old in Tokyo had a lot of this kind of constriction of everyday interaction thing going on. Mm. So, I mean, I, as I said, I, I think I've read pretty much everything that mm. won one of the major awards. I haven't got... Um, so Paper Girls got an award for Best New Series. We've both read that. Again, these categories are baffling to me, but whatever. Like, what the fuck's the difference between a limited series and an ongoing series that just, you know, finishes? Anyway, I, their categorization is, is strange. Uh, yeah, well, it, so comes, it, it, comes, it comes from the publishing industry and therefore is defined by things that matter to the publishing yeah, industry. Yeah, this is one of those things, right? It's, it's an industry award that got out of hand. Not out of hand, but... Got away from itself. Paper Girls won an award. Yes. You like Paper Girls. I love I Paper, like Girls. Paper Girls. So it got Best New Series, but it also got... Is it, um, is it Jeff Chang? Chang? Cliff Chang, yeah, he got Cliff Best Pencil. Got Best... Again, these categories are... Like, fuck it, they've got a distinct... No, I'm not going to do that. It's a long-running thing. And I, the old, I know it the means old pencil things. ink colour is... I know what a, it means. I know where it comes from. It's ingrained. It just seems silly now. Um... But what I like about it is it means that you get to have more than one best artist category. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you do. It is definitely category rich, mm. which was great for me. I think on a shorter list, a lot of the... I would have been much less interested in some yeah. of the stuff that won the kind of the more niche categories yeah. and then more exposure for me to things that I would enjoy. So we get to have, like, we get to Doffar, Doffar gets to Cliff Chang and... Is it Chiang? Chang? Chang. Chang. And, and Dustin Nguyen, who um, took the best... <laughs> whatever the other art category is for um, Descender didn't he get, it was like a weird painting one wasn't it it's paint and or digital medium or some such bollocks um, it's it, it might as well just painter slash multimedia artist it's, it's art column A and art column B <laughs> that um, that painter slash multimedia artist sounds like um, it sounds like someone that would be a real fucking bellend at a party in Hoxton I don't go to those parties due to the high chance of bellender. It's like, yeah, hi, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a multimedia slash... You know what I mean? It's kind of... It's... Yeah. 
I write a magazine that's largely about my testicles. Just one gear. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Um, no, it basically sounds like they wanted to give Dave McKean an award one year and didn't yeah. know how to. So yeah. or, Dave, or David Mack. Or David Mack, yeah. So, I mean, to me, this is, this is sort of... It's not as good um, for Discovery, but then been sort of doing this for four years so it's, mm. it's, it's kind of um, yeah you'd think I'd have good methods for discovery but I really don't well you don't really like leaving the house no or talking to other people I find a lot of things by going into shops and picking them up yeah that's a problem Yeah, I don't like that I do that but I do I also don't like following people on Twitter most of the right. time. So the big table at Gosh. I know the big table at Gosh used to be my discovery method. Do you photograph it whenever I go? Yes, I do. All right. Frankly, it's fine. I'll do that. I don't think it's weird. I did ask you to do it once, and yeah. it was good. And I keep meaning wondering if I should just do it again unsolicited, yes. but I don't want to send you like an unsolicited Gosh pick. It's by far the best unsolicited pick you could send me. Okay. I've heard of some of your other picks. So to me, this this is sort of. It's useful to, to sort of confirm my tastes. Like, mm. yes. Uh-huh. I enjoy things that fancy people enjoy. also enjoy. Yes. But Paper Girls is pretty great, right? And the art is mm-hmm. fantastic. I really enjoyed the Although, photo. The... Is, is Paper Girls Wilson or Belair? Uh, it's Matt Wilson. Yeah, I, I, so I, I would argue the colouring is as good as, if not better than the um, penciling. Very angry man. Yeah, it's true. He doesn't like pencils at all. Pencils killed his whole family. It was a giant one. It fell over at the pencil museum and crushed them. I should never have gone to the pencil. Pen- pencil museum is not exciting enough to have a big pencil. <laughs> really? <laughs> is it just long? Oh, okay, look. Sorry, paper, paper, paper Girls is pretty great. Do we have anything yeah. else to say about this? So, <clears throat> hey, I read stuff I hadn't already read. Uh, see, I, I didn't. I just. But it did make me go back and massively pick up on Southern Bastards again. So do we think, I mean, do we think this is useful? So I'd love to think that people will see Bandette mm-hmm. under the best digital yeah. and will go and read Bandette because Bandette's a Mutant. fucking amazing romp. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Super Mutant Magic Academy. Oh, we yes. all love. It won an award oh, for so teens, which makes us all seem like giant elderly twats. But I've kind of always, I stopped developing emotion as a child, I think. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of the, a lot of the awards are just things that Many people will have read already. Like it's possible some people who read a lot of comics ignored Paper Girls, but it seems unlikely. It's mm. possible some people who read a lot of comics ignored Descender, but it seems unlikely. Everyone's reading fucking Southern Bastards. Everyone's uh, read Nimona. Yeah, Everyone's read Kate Beaton. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but the fringy stuff again, like the, the history stuff, which maybe some people ignore. Certainly, mm. I I wouldn't say I actively ignore it, but it's less on my radar. I suppose I so, so I tend to read things like bits of comics journalism and so things like things like Elliot Magan who I haven't read in a while it might be worth going back and and um, and reading his book um, seeing something like like so two brothers one best adaptation from another medium and I thought it was fine but not great were there any other like ones well, that should have won this that is category? this is what i wonder so i mean it's by fabio moon and gabriel Barr, and mm. i they doesn't mention beloved. doesn't mention the original author that's interesting and in terms of comics failing to credit people that's a new step um and i just sort of compared it to day tripper i thought sort of mm. day tripper was an infinitely better one of those um, one of those it's not bad, but it's, it's, um, yeah. 
it's not that exciting, so I want to look at the shortlist and see what else was on there. See so this is the thing. Was. I find the shortlist more useful than the winners list. So the shortlist gives you a whole bunch of things that you might like. And that I'm less likely to have heard of. In, in general, not always, but often with the Eisners, I find that it's things I've heard of that I either have read or have taken a semi-informed decision to not give a fuck about, mm. whereas the, the shortlist has things on it that... Is you new, genuinely isn't, might have known. It's new information. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go back for the categories that... I picked stuff from that I really enjoyed. I'm definitely going to check out the shortlist and see what's in there because that feels like it would be fruitful. Full of fruit. Fructified. Mm. Maybe we could uh, then all go and buy them from Orbital Comics, which won the Spirit of Comics Retailer Award. That was a good segue, but I don't know why you bothered. I don't what is the know. Spirit of Comics, Dave? I don't know. Um, in this case, it's apparently it's a small, slightly grubby comic shop just off Leicester Square. Hmm. I mean, they're supposed to be very good. So highlight highlight from the winners for you is probably March. Yeah, probably March with Shoah being a cl- very very close second. I liked them both, but I think March got me in the feels a little bit more. I kind of like that Bandette got recognition. It's mm-hmm. nice. It's a really nice. I, I mean, I haven't read it. I keep, it's not been on my list forever. Yeah, no, I haven't I read it. It's lovely. Hart, you had one in particular that you wanted to highlight. Well, it's just, it, it, it doesn't need highlighting because it is the darling, right? It, it's Southern Bastards and... I don't think it's got a massive audience. Really? I don't think it's huge, no. People talk about it in such gushing terms and it is really good. That's The reason I wanted to talk about it is because the the awards made me come back to it. I read the first volume when it shortly after it came out. I think it was, yeah, shortly after it had wrapped, I picked up the trade. And I thought, yeah, 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 this is fine. I, ba- I had a really interesting reading experience of it, which is I bounced off the art completely for like an issue and a half and then sort of got my eye in and it, mm. it started to click with the writing tone and the... I'm, I'm a massive tart for Southern Gothic, but this is sort of Southern non-Gothic. This is kind of Southern skeevy. <laughs> and I could, I could trace some roots, but it, it, it took a minute for me to kind of get my brain into it and then it just absolutely fits together perfectly. The writing style and the art style and weird scritchy scratchiness. And then I dropped it after the first trade. I, just, I, I never quite came back to it. And I saw it was on the eyes and we were going to talk about this. And I just, I, I grabbed, um, I think I might have grabbed an issue or I had a flip through it and thought, no, right, I have to finish this. Mm. And just devoured the second, third trade. It's it's brilliant. It's And it's 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 Latour and Allen, isn't it? It's, so it got... It it's got, the Jasons. Yeah, yeah Jason got, and Jason Aaron. It got a long-running series and then Jason Aaron got Best Writer. Is that it? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And Which means that technically you won for Doctor Strange. <laughs> because he won, for, he won for everything that he was currently writing. Mm. Uh, yeah, you should just read it. It's got, it's got a really interesting, distinctive sort of art style where quite often they just sort of put some gradient shading in in place of backgrounds and these slightly scratchy people. It's, it's a small town that has like the football coach, Coach Euless Boss, who is the equivalent of a local crime boss. Hmm. Everyone is somewhat in his thrall because the football thing is so mm. powerful. And hanging off that is a whole bunch of stories. He's done a bunch of nasty shit. Um, volume one is this guy coming back to the town and trying to sort of shake it all up and it doesn't go so well. Volume two is Coach's backstory and volume three is a set of vignettes around what's happening. It's, it's kind of, volume three is the, I guess, the calm before the storm of the next few volumes. It, it's sort of a lot of pent up stuff and personal stories. It's basically a comic book take on Walking Tall. A man with a stick comes back to town to fuck things up. Yeah, that's the first volume. Mm. Yeah, have you read two and three? Not yet, no. It doesn't, 
stay that way. And Coach Boss becomes more of a, not sympathetic, but pivotal character. It's, it's that kind Coach of... Boss. It, it's knowingly ridiculous. It, so many of these characters are almost Southern Gothic caricatures. Mm. You've got the mayor who's chronically ill with, like, oxygen cylinder and mm. whatever and barely mumbles and his weird domineering angry wife mm. who is doing the job for him and just yells at him to shut up whenever they're in private there's a lot um, of there's the, a lot the, of Walter the, Hill in there and there's a lot of Elmo Leonard there's a lot of grotesquery in it the grotesques are great but what, what I came to realise as I was flipping through it is actually this is a visceral dissection of performative masculinity and I know I say that about everything but hey we need those though but I realised, yes, it's about football, yes, it's about the South. The introductions in the back matter talk about kind of loving the South, but critically loving it. There's this wonderful piece. They did a, a cover that got a lot of bad press with a dog chewing the Confederate flag. Mm. And um, Jason, Jason Latour, I think it is, does this, this essay at the back of one of the volumes saying, long live the South, death to the flag. Kind of, it represents the worst of us. It's, it's when you a, say they got a lot of pushback for depicting the flag at all, or from people who love the flag that a dog was chewing it, flag. those guys are always going to be wrong. They upset the man-babies. And he, he basically said, look, I, I'm, I'm a southerner, I love the South, we depict the South, but we depict it warts and, warts and all in the comic. And Which is all you can do and be true, and that's the same in March. There, yeah, there are great things and there are bad things, and maybe let's, let's take this, this thing that is often an emblem of the bad shit and put it back in the box. Hmm. And it's got that, that warmth and that love, and it does depict the horrible bits. It, it, it concentrates on the horrible bits. It's a nasty, nasty comic, but there is, there is an affection running through it. But the thing I kind of realised in the clicking of my head is it's just a wonderful examination of a particular type of tiny bubble, in this case a small town, like tribal performance masculinity. Mm. And how, and, and male fragility. Mm. Like how subject to puncturing it is, how subject it is to othering kind of dynamic building. The idea of two sports teams having to face off and hate each other where they're just arbitrary assemblages of humans. Yeah. All that's really at stake is some kind of 20th century metastasized version of like dick swinging breeding rights. Mm. It's it's visceral and it's wonderful. That's also really funny. If you if you like comedy violence and people being horrible to each other. I don't I don't have a a strong feeling that the Eisner Awards are sort of helpful to the industry. Let's, so, so let's take that that approach. Like, do they shift comics? I really couldn't say for certain. I. It feels are. like a. They're very safe. To be sure. well, I mean, Kate being one humor yeah. for a woman to be allowed to be funny publicly is still kind of a big deal. Oh, fuck yeah! I wish that weren't a big deal. But you're right. <laughs> There are still plenty of people who believe it cannot be true. Yeah. Yeah. And golly, she's funny. Oh, my Lord, she's funny. She's very funny. I've been laughing at her for nearly ten years at this point. With her, with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Recognition's always good in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're recognising people who aren't just the same old people, which yeah. this is to some extent. To some extent. Well, Gillian, Gillian Tamaki. For um, a very, yeah. very mainstream list, it is yeah. doing that to some yeah. extent. And it's a good mainstream list. Mm. I know I'm a bit snarky and I have this tremendously snobby kind of preference for judged rather than voted lists. But and pencils killed your whole family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a pencil museum, just mm. blood everywhere. But if it's not necessarily for us paying, paying attention to comics, mm. how does it hit a wider audience? Well, here's the thing, though. So any... It's big in comics, which means it gets reported a little bit outside of comics. Mm. So you might, in the other publishing press or the other cultural press, see, and now some comics people had an awards ceremony. 
and and John Barrowman was there dressed as Squirrel Girl yeah. for some reason. So it might fascinating. It might just and Comic Con is now horribly colonized by just non comics random genre crap. Yeah, and so maybe it does get the good shit out in front of a wider audience. Maybe it does. I assume also there are some people who maybe wouldn't necessarily pick up a comic as their first choice, but but having some kind of endorsement. Mm. Is make, would make them more likely to try it potentially. But I don't know. Possible. Picking it up and saying this one an Eisner. What's an Eisner? Oh, it's the Comics Industry Award. That makes it sound good. This is more appealing to me as a conservative buyer of literature. You can put, you those those put a sticker on Eisner stickers on. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I bought a ticket on Kinkery, it had the little Eisner thing, and I tried to pick it off and realized it had been embossed on the No, it's like a big metal embossed thing. You, you bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, because I wasn't totally sure I wanted to buy it because it was big and expensive and looked a bit weird, did it help? Uh, maybe a little bit subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably arrived at the tremendously helpful summary that the Eisners are kind of a good thing some of the time, except maybe occasionally boring. Yeah. They might be fine, we get yes. I think that's my feeling, is sort of broadly safe. For sure um, they're doing no harm. Yeah. They gave me a good time with some stuff I didn't know about already. The, I feel very slightly more warm towards yeah. them than I did previously. And the ceremony this year was genuinely bizarre. This really? was John Barrowman in weird pants, right? John Barrowman with costume changes. Was he presenting? Yeah. Fascinating. Terrifying. Squirrel girl. Yeah, and I imagine lots of energy. Yeah. He's an energetic little dude. Yeah. Especially with the squirrel tail. Go put it in the show notes. It's horrifying. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my take. It's sort of, at, at best, harmless. Have we ever yeah. put anything in the show notes that we said we'd put in the show yes, notes? Yes, I do it all the yeah, time. Yeah, he does do it. Wow. I check, sometimes. I work really hard on this. Mm. Sorry about oh. us. Fuck you guys, let's finish there. Pizza? Yeah, let's get a pizza. Let's let's have an ending where we don't talk about pizza. Is it all of them? It's all of them. It has been, been for a while, yeah. Year. Isn't it like, it's like I think now, it's like future radio. No, it's not as good. I intend to eat a flat bread covered in sauce and cheese. I may similarly consume some kind of... Saucy flat bread. dairy-enhanced disc. You do realise that it, you just make it sound like I have to take you for pizza, like I'm your gently despairing uncle. Oh no, that fits. All right, good night. Thanks, Uncle Dave. Can we have ice cream machine?